Hello and welcome along to the podcast. It is Wednesday, just uh, almost lost my train of thought with the date there. Wednesday, April the 22nd at the time of recording uh, this Sport and Life podcast. Uh, my name's Ed Draper or Teddy Draper, some people know me as. I am a sports broadcaster in the UK and today we're going to be uh, hearing from a local sports journalist. I'm based in Cheltenham in the west of England. We're of course in the midst of the lockdown. I'm still working um, a reduced hours for Sky Sports, my day job for Sky Sports News, but our output has been reduced due to the lockdown and the coronavirus pandemic, which has obviously affected uh, billions of lives around the world and no different here. But I'm going to speak to John Palmer, a local journalist to Gloucestershire, the west of England where I live in Cheltenham, about the impact potentially around this area on clubs. Obviously no income, clubs not, sports clubs not really designed to, to hold money, hold cash. It's not their purpose. They're there to effectively channel it from the fans to the players to keep the show going but there is no show at the moment and hence those commitments they have contractually to players and staff very difficult to maintain despite the government assistance so we're going to have a quick chat to him about his assessment of the situation and it may be clubs like Cheltenham with lower wage kind of outgoings and players with perhaps as a result of that lower financial commitments may be better off uh, I don't know I'd be interested to get John's take on that a podcast in association with Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands producing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. Jason Briggs and his uh, team obviously working remotely themselves, but Bang & Olufsen and Cheltenham very much alive and active via their website, phone calls. Uh, they can consult on home entertainment queries you may have about existing systems, but also new ones for sure. At the moment, he's in good spirits as well. Jason on social media, Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham on Instagram, Twitter, and I dare say they're on Facebook as well. I also wanted to point you in the way of a supplement that my father, Dr. Mark Draper, a general practitioner doctor in the UK, and also a guy who has designed nutritional supplements for a company called Cytoplan. And one of those is Immunovite. He's worked as a nutritionist, run nutrition courses, particularly micronutrition, looking at uh, trace elements in the soil, vitamins, things like in particular selenium and zinc. He recommends a supplement called Immunovite, uh, M-M-U-N-O-V-Y-T-E from a company called Cytoplan, which is C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N. And if you want a 10% deduction, you can get that through the podcast. It is Draper10. So my surname, my last name, if uh, you're in the States. I know that when I was coaching football in America, I was trying to tell kids or ask kids what their surnames were. And they didn't understand that. It was a uh, last name I realized after about 10 minutes of, of getting nowhere asking them to uh, write their names down. Um, but it's uh, Draper10 on the Cytoplan website. You can get a discount and would appreciate that, of course. But for you, it's uh, selenium in terms of boosting the the, uh, the uptake of your immune system and it believed to increase your immunity at the cellular level. At least that's the hypothesis my dad and his colleagues are working with at the moment because uh, relative to the UK, they may have to check your selenium levels if you're listening around the world, particularly the US where it varies from state to state coast to coast and in the middle of such a huge country but in the UK our soil levels are selenium pretty low 34 micrograms per person is the average daily diet which is I think around sort of five times lower than my dad would like it to be so hence the supplement Immunovite Cytoplan website Draper 10 I'm hoping to speak to Tris Dixon I spoke to him last week he's the box, uh, editor of Boxing News former editor of Boxing News great boxing author fantastic title of his The Road to Nowhere I'm reading at the moment and I hope to get him later this week it was momentarily up but I realised there'd been some sort of syncing issue. The file was big and I just recorded on my phone and it'd been some 
bizarre thing where his voice had been overlaid mine rather than a kind of um, staccato regular conversation where I speak, he spoke. So it was a bit of a mess the second half of that. So apologies if you listen to that. I'll try and get another one done with Tris tomorrow. It's been very forgiving. And uh, it's a great journalist, great insight on boxing and the, co- the conflicts we both feel about covering and making money covering the sport. Although he actually did box himself because of the damage it, it wreaks upon its uh, competitors. Although they are inspirational and a lot of people say that boxing saves them. So it's a complex picture. Uh, but I had a really good discussion on that. And also talked CrossFit with him and he's a keen advocate. But anyway, I hope you're well. I hope you enjoy the podcast with John Palmer, particularly Cheltenham Town fans. I won't uh, waffle on for any longer, but other clubs as well locally to, to me, Gloucester City, um, other sort of non-league clubs that I may have played for or been associated with uh, covering sport around the country, for the BBC and Sky. Um, but yeah, I hope you're well. I hope you're safe. I hope we can get back to some normality soon. It's uh, at least another couple of weeks of lockdown in the UK, according to the latest government briefings. And we shall uh, try and make the most of it as a blisteringly blue-skied, sunny day again today we've been very blessed with the weather obviously no consolation to people who are suffering from coronavirus but it is um, some opportunity to at least get some immunity through the vitamin d as well in the uk which is on short supply in terms of daylight during the winter okay guys john palmer hi ed hello john how are you i'm not bad you yeah good have you um have you been lecturing this week or are you back after easter or is it a holiday now for you um it's back back to work to this week but no teaching till next week so this week it's been uh, marking and uh, just getting ready for the last few weeks of term next which start next week oh brilliant well in the introduction i did i called you a local journalist but obviously you're a local professor as well at the uh, university <laughs> of gloucestershire <laughs> professor for his lecturer i'm not sure what the, yeah uh... not professor palmer but yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> sounds like you've got a kind of um a monocle and and, and test tubes doesn't it professor but um what's um what, what, what's the situation like in terms of the teaching? How has that changed? And has it been um, sort of it's successful? Yeah, it's been good. I've got, it's been very different, but the students have responded really well. They're, they're very, very, you know, tech savvy, as you'd expect. And they've, they've moved sort of seamlessly over to online teaching. So there's, a, there's some really clever tools where you can put some uh, PowerPoint slides on, talk over them. Students can chip in, chat. Um, it's, been, it's been good. Obviously, it's not quite the same as being in person, but yeah you know, they've they've really adapted well and i think the sessions have gone down quite well and um the one thing that obviously the big disappointment from our course is they can't get out and cover any live sport but there's ways around it we've been getting guest lectures yeah. on uh, we've been doing you know reporting on online reruns of games getting guest lectures to do chats and that sort of thing getting them to do interviews over the phone so but it still carries on and it's still very good but it's just obviously not the same as actually going to live sport yeah, no, so that's a massive knock-on effect, isn't it? If you're doing a sports journalism course, not having any live sport is a is a big, a big kind of Achilles heel for that big big hamstring. Well, how have you found the technical side of it? Because it sounds complicated. I mean, we're all in this boat, aren't we? A little bit trying to record things through Zoom or, or whatever at the moment. It's quite an interesting, changing landscape. Have you have you had some good guidance from the university about that? Yeah, university been really good. So there's a, there's a bespoke online teaching tool that we use called Big Blue Button, uh, which has been brilliant for lectures. Then we've used. Um, well, I've been using Zoom a lot for family chats and that sort of thing. And then yeah. uh, when, we've had, when we've had guest lecturers on, um, we've had a few really good ones. They've used mainly Microsoft Teams. And yeah, all, all three all three are slightly different for different reasons, but they're all really useful. And tech, as long as you've got a decent internet connection um, mm. and a you know, reliable laptop, it's, it's so easy now. I mean, if this had happened 20 years ago, I think we really would have been struggling, wouldn't we, for um, all sorts of different reasons. But... It's still difficult, but I think it's easier to stay in touch with people, easier to keep going digitally and that sort of thing and keep yourself entertained as well. So I think it's 
yeah, I think it's not as bad as it would have been if it had been pre-internet. Yeah, exactly. We'd be doing it all by post. and be taking weeks to, to, to do anything in yeah. terms of uh, updating. I'm sure we'd have found a way. Carry a, carry a pigeon. <laughs> on, on the subject of, of your specialty, I suppose, in terms of this area, you're a lifelong Cheltenham Town fan. We had you on the podcast uh, um, just before the, the lockdown, really, I suppose. In retrospect, we had none of, no inkling that it would be... Uh, to this extent and, and go on this this long but what's your sense of, of local sport who's struggling and I suppose who isn't struggling really because the clubs aren't really built to, to hold cash are they so it's not like they kind of have reserves that yeah, go deep I think the last time we chatted was the it was the Wednesday of race week I think and um, Cheltenham, Cheltenham yeah. gearing up to go to Cambridge on the Saturday and obviously no football since but my, my biggest fear is for the in-between team so I think that the the really mm. lower level clubs, obviously, it's a massive disappointment. Their season's over. A lot of uh, hard work for nothing, really, for a lot of clubs. But mm. I don't think they've, like, teams at the, the, the level of the likes of Bishop Cleave and that sort of thing, very few yeah. players are on contracts. And they're not. All... So they just get paid a bit of cash in yeah, hand. They? Sort of to, almost, yeah, almost pay per game. And they, they, will, they will lose out on money because of the. Uh, the you know, hundred or so people they might get in coming through the turnstiles, but they obviously haven't got the outgoings, and it's it's a lot easier, I think, to pause a club like that and then just start up whenever the new season starts. With, with the pro yeah. clubs, obviously they've got the commitments to contracts, but I think they they've got the TV money coming in, they've got help from the football league, they've got uh, they got the op- they've got mm. the option to furlough um, the professional players. Yeah, would the furlough be significant for a club like Cheltenham in terms of its wage bill? Because is it two and a half thousand pounds a month, and presumably. Would that be enough for most of the players to, to pay their, their bills? I think some some Cheltenham players would be on a little bit more than that, but not not yeah. life changing amounts. And I think Forest Green made the decision early on to furlough their players, and, and Dale Vince has, has said recently that he, they're they're going to be fine. I don't I don't think they're going to struggle for for a while. Good. Cheltenham luckily are in a good financial position due to being run sensibly, getting the the Moisa money, the Marlon Pack transfer money, the Luke Thomas transfer money. There, if it was going to happen. This was probably a good year for it to happen because there have been times in the past where Cheltenham have been a bit closer to the edge, but I think mm. they've they've gone into this from a really strong financial footing, which is credit to the board and and the way it's run. It's the the, the yeah. team that I'm really worried about on our patch really is Gloucester City. Um, yeah, because they've been homeless for a yeah, while. Yeah, they've well, been they've been somehow battling on staying in the National League North or South level with no ground for about 13 years now. And wow. they just started. This is since the, fl- the floods of 2000. Yeah, that's right. Is that right. Yeah, they've, they've been to Forest wow. Green, Sirencester, Cheltenham, and recently Evesham. So they've been all over the place. No no real income from, from bar money or anything like that. And still managing to compete at a decent level of football. Recently, they had a, a bit more investment from a local businessman who's really got the groundwork mm. up and running. And it's nice to actually see some of the ground taking shape. But. They're the ones that have probably got a lot of outgoings, and they'll they'll have, they'll, yeah. they'll they'll really really feel the fact they've lost. I think five home games, and I think mm. that they're the sort of clubs that might slip through the net. So the really smaller clubs, although it's massively disappointing, I think they'll be okay to go again whenever. It's... Where where is their stadium out of interest, John? Is it in Sirencester? You say, is it where are they, they at the moment? They're playing Eastham United. Um, okay, but they've got a stadium the stadiums in the being built, and they're hoping to move in at some point next season. Um, but they've. Is that in Gloucester, Gloucester yeah, the city of that's Gloucester? Right. Same, same yeah. location as the old stadium, just a bit higher up to, to avoid the flooding risk. So it's the same, virtually the same plan as the old ground. Just, just yeah. slightly, well, slightly moved, but literally a matter of metres away from where the old pitch was. 
it's a solid solid plan, isn't it? It's it's interesting speaking to Michael Duff on the podcast. He had a excitedly talk about Wi-Fi reception. I think he had a bit. I've got not the great, not got the greatest Wi-Fi, which is typical. But also, he was in his garden having a beer. I think at the time, so he had to <laughs> had a bit of a sketchy phone call at the start. But he was talking about being adamant that it made no sense to forego this season to to sort of um, to set up next, and he was very much committed to to finishing the season whenever that may, may be. Do you see that happening? And is it feasible in a way to get that play behind closed doors, even if it wouldn't mean revenue to, to the low, sort of lower league clubs? Yeah, my, my view is there's a lot of stuff to sort out and it's very difficult to make any sort of planning or predictions for you know the medium or even, even next week, really, what's mm. going to be happening. But I really do agree with Michael that they should make every effort to finish the season one way or another because yeah. Cheltenham have got 10 games left. A lot of clubs have only got nine. And it just it, I think it would be a real shame to... To avoid that when so much has happened, when next season next season could be the one that's more effective. Next season could be trimmed or played in a sh- shorter space of time. They can they can maybe adapt to yeah. the the lesser important competitions to try and get the league games in. But I think that's more important than than than, than scrapping this season. I think they need to finish it. Whether whether it's behind closed doors or not, everyone would rather it wasn't. Obviously, that would hit teams hard as well if they they didn't have the gate mm. money. But if it's a choice between not finishing it at all and finishing it behind closed doors, I'd like to see it finished. But I I think they should wait. And I know there's there's difficulties in terms of keeping players on beyond the, the end of their contracts and that sort of thing. And that's as Michael said, and I enjoyed listening to it. You know, there's no there's no mm. perfect solution to this situation, and some something's mm. going to have to give somewhere along the line. But I think. Uh, uh, and put- and players will be scared at the moment anyway, so you can foresee them. They would be perhaps open to, to playing an extra month or two while they resolve their own futures once society's up to some kind of normality. Yeah, I think month, you know, short term, month to month, just to get and then move the transfer window. Um, I spoke to a, to a former manager that recently who, who had a theory of he thought they should actually have their summer break now. Have, well, not summer break, obviously they can't go on holiday, but have, have a proper break from training, not even not even really do anything. Yeah. I know they're all probably trying to keep themselves as fit as possible. Have a bit of a break, let the body recover. Then yeah. then do the mini pre-season, get the season finished and then have a, a much shorter break between the end of that and when the new season starts. And obviously then... Yeah, because Michael said they might need a psychological break, but I think you're probably right that in a sense it, there has to be some... In a way, finishing the season becomes a sort of like perfunctory exercise, doesn't it? And you just maybe then have a, a mini break and if the body's niggle-free now, it might be easier for them to roll yeah, on. I think you know the National League have now confirmed that that's, that's done, although they haven't decided exactly mm. what's going to happen with the promotions and relegations. They've, they've, they're not going to resume, are they, the National League? So I think... No. Which is a feeder league for people listening who don't know into the Interleague 2, which is where Cheltenham Town and Forest Green locally are. The, so the League 2 is the fourth tier and they're just just below that. And it's, yeah, it's a big... There's so many clubs that's a full, a quote-unquote full-time, isn't it? They'll be sailing close to the yeah. wind, I suppose, with, with income. So, yeah, I've seen some talk about Barrow being allowed into the league to replace the, the gap left by the demise of Berry. Uh, but then there's yeah. the issue of who, who would go up by the playoffs. Would they still have the playoffs? And how would they decide exactly who finished in the playoff places? But I think fo- Football League and Premier League is, is, a, is, it is a different ball game. Even though in the National League, there's a lot of professional clubs. I think with the TV money involved, higher up the pyramid... Um, it's not all about the TV money, but I think there's a lot more obligations to complete the the broadcasting. They, they could have a situation where they they charge a fee. Obviously, you can watch the games. It wouldn't be the same, but you can watch the games online. Yeah, you get, yeah. Do some... Could they? Could they? Could they? Is that is that technically feasible? Is it so for for lower, even League Two clubs? If you charged a pound a view or something, you perhaps get some income. Yeah, I think as long as they're there's a sort of system where they're looked after in terms of the gate money that they're going to, the massive amount of gate money that they would lose. There'd have to be some sort of compensation or some sort of loan or something to 
to offset that because that is, as we've spoken about before, teams at Cheltenham's level, a lot of them, if they haven't got a wealthy benefactor, they really are just relying on money coming in, money going out. And Cheltenham would have been more so if they hadn't had that extra little bit of transfer money that they got this mm. season. So that's, I think they've they've got that in the bank just to keep just to tide them over for a while. Whereas I can imagine some clubs are, are getting towards yeah, desperation and- stakes. You know, I, you know, I love going down to low league football because you, you immediately smell the chips and the beer and you, you walk in. How, how significant, on a, on a serious note, is that you mentioned the bar, the, the bar money that Gloucester City's missed out on for not having a home ground? How significant is that kind of income if, if we're talking about behind the closed it's, doors? It's massive. Scenario? When Gloucester City was sharing at Cheltenham for a few years, the, the bar, you'd always hear that the bar was packed after a Gloucester City home game. Um, after yeah. a Cheltenham Town home game, there was a few in there, but after a Gloucester City, it's a lot, it's a lot more of a social feel. And the players were probably all in there having a few pints, whereas the Cheltenham players are properly professional yeah. athletes. So I think no, no chip chip buddies well, for the players. I think and all those, that kind of those stuff, days yeah. are gone. But I think the the money that Gloucester <laughs> City got then, obviously most of that was going straight to Cheltenham as the landlords, and that's the sort of you know yeah. that's the sort of money that Gloucester City have been missing out on there for thirteen years. So it is a it is a massive part of it. The program sales, the the, the food sales, the you know the merchandise in the club shop, and you can still buy stuff online, but there's nothing quite going in and picking up a shirt. Mm. A souvenir of the day for away fans getting the match program and, and going and having a pint before the game. I think it's yeah, it's a huge part in the lower leagues. Um, so there's so many hypotheticals. I don't know at the moment. I just wondered whether we've talked in the in the past with you and, and other people about the competitive nature of 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 having a League Two club because you have fans in an area like Cheltenham in the southwest of England who may be drawn to to Premier League clubs, may go up to Aston Villa, may go down to Swindon, who historically obviously at the same level now, but historically were a, a bigger club per se. And then you've got Bristol clubs. Do you feel that, that there might be a boost for people of less income after this that perhaps they'll be more inclined to support the local club? Do you think could it could it work out that way because the ticket prices are so much less and obviously people wouldn't have to travel if they're if they're local to the club? Yeah, I think it could do. I think I think it's very difficult to get people to change their allegiance but there's a lot of people that follow Cheltenham but have a probably a Premier League club they'd rather go and watch if they possibly can so I think yeah. Cheltenham have probably more so than a lot of clubs at their level they have the potential to for example when they got to Wembley in 98 they had 18,000 there um, yeah it's huge they've been to a couple of other playoff finals they've had 15 or 18,000 and then I think the last one in 2012 there was just over 10,000 so there is that little bit of extra potential whereas I think some fans would get to a big game and they probably wouldn't have that many extra fans coming along I think Cheltenham Mm. have got quite a decent catchment area Um, there are a lot of people in Cheltenham that support like you said teams like Villa and West Brom even maybe a bit further afield up to Manchester and things like that but I think yes and some Tottenham fans you come across don't you things always want to see people you know support and get behind their local club even if it's in tandem with having a Premier League club which most people do I don't really have a Premier League club but a lot, a lot of young kids will will like Cheltenham because they can pop down the road and watch them play. Like you said, for not a huge amount of money, although it's not cheap to watch Cheltenham for for an adult ticket. I think compared yeah. to some of the Premier do you think, League do you think that, will that will that will that have to change pricing? Do you think? Well, a lot could change. There's been talk today about having a wage capping in in League Two. Um, a lot, a lot could change, and things things might never be the same after this whole situation. I think as you know, yeah, it's going to take a long time to recover. As as much as the government are. Uh, making the right decision to support people, it's all going to be paid for, isn't it? And that's where I think everybody will, will feel an impact. So it's a difficult mm. one to say, but I think there might be something in that. People might, might write, if they want to get their football fix and they don't want to be spending hundreds and hundreds of pounds driving three hours and watching a game where the tickets cost £100, they might be more inclined to spend 15 20 on the, the team around the corner. It could, it, could work, it could be a bit more of a level 
a leveler. Mm. You know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So many questions about how the, the economy might impact it stuff. It's interesting, John, isn't it? So people have their difficult, their different political instincts about how they would want situations resolved. People maybe wouldn't want that that sort of uh, maximum salary introduced, which used to be in football that that kept wages down probably disproportionately to clubs' income. They paid players too little but is it ultimately when you come to it that I think Paul Godfrey the Chairman Secretary said to me that pl- clubs almost need <laughs> he was almost pleading for it someone to save them externally because clubs can't police themselves because of the competitive nature of the market you can't say I'm only going to uh, invest in salaries 40% of our turnover because someone else down the road will will throw caution to the wind and, and offer money for that player. Yeah I think the word Paul used was a bit bonkers and I think it, is, it has become mm. a bit bonkers I mean there was a situation in the early 2000s where ITV Digital put pumped a bit of money and a lot of teams spent the money and then ITV Digital um, collapsed and a lot of clubs then were really sort of on the verge of going into administration or even worse. And I think, yeah, yeah, I think it is, it is a business like no other chasing that, that glory, you know, sometimes spending money you haven't got. It's always been the case, but I think when, as much as I feel deeply sorry for the fans, Berry was mismanaged and misrun for a while. And it, it sort of, it was, it was a self-inflicted, although it was no fault of the fans, mm. it was self-inflicted by the people that ran the club. Whereas this situation is, is nobody's fault at all. You know, nobody could have foreseen this. It's just the fact that some clubs are so on the edge all the time with yeah. you know, even losing one home game, they could be immediately in trouble. <laughs> Um, and you sort of think sometimes I think that clubs should be more fr- uh, frugal and prudent and, and put money aside, which probably as individuals and, and families, we probably should do that individually. But football clubs don't really exist to do that. The more you think about it, the more you think actually they only exist to entertain the fans. So in a sense, it makes sense that the money just goes through the club week on week and it just it kind of it, it has income to exist yeah. in a sense. It doesn't have income to, to speculate and accumulate. No, I think if clubs go up through the divisions, all that really happens is the players' cars get nicer in the car park and you know, not, not much else changes. You know, the, the, the rest of the off-field operation is still often very much, you know, skeleton operation with a lot of small group of people working incredibly hard. And then the wages will just, you have to obviously up the wages to compete with the, the high level of football. It has got, thanks to, you know, the, the impact of the TV money and that sort of thing, the, the numbers at the top are astronomical and it has a knock-on effect because, you, you, you know, yeah. teams want to chase that dream. And I think, yeah, I think if something can come in to make it a little bit more sensible and and stop teams well they've tried it haven't they with financial fair play but there just seems to be so many loopholes that you don't have any real faith that it works yeah no certainly i think there is a sense of of you can sort of circumnavigate the terms of, of where the income is from and, and how it's classified and, and things like that financial fair play certainly is meant to make players uh, or clubs sorry more more cost effective. I think even then you can sail quite close to the win in terms of running a business and not necessarily be close to being profitable with uh, with a system. I think Mike, was it Michael uh, Duff said it was, it was something like only six clubs were profitable in the football league or something. Yeah, yeah phenomenal. Sixteen maybe he said. Um, but it's it's difficult. How much because you're obviously a lecturer now primarily, but you do work for the sports side of things for for Gloucestershire Live. But your sense as a Cheltenham man, as a as a, as a, as a local to this area, what's your concern like for the the wider community, what are you hearing about small businesses? Because I, you know, I live in the centre of town, so for my daily exercise, I'm strolling around and you, you can't help but look at some of the, the, the shops on the prom and think, well, what, are they going to come back? Is, are people just going to switch completely online? What's your, your feelings on that? Or have you heard anything concrete? Well, initially, I had lo- I've got quite a few friends who, who are freelance sports you know, journalists, yeah. which I suppose both of us are to a certain extent, and that there was a lot of worry about, about that. And you know, then, then the government announced measures to try and support freelance 
business people. And uh, I think the, in terms of the town centre, I think it was, I think most town centres are struggling anyway. I think hope, mm. I'm just hoping that once people are, once it's safe to do so, people will go and support their local businesses and, and go and support their local high streets instead of ordering everything on, which is always tempting to do, but, you know, ordering everything on Amazon and, and staying away from Yeah. So I think it, it would be nice to see people rally around and try and, and build these business, businesses back up because, you know, it's, it's, it's scary actually how many businesses are going to be in trouble because of this and through no fault of their own. Yeah. It's just, it's something's got to, you know, there's, there's, humans are very adaptable and i think there's got to be a change in behavior to try and to try and just get everything up and running again because it's going to be almost like starting from scratch yeah you hope that we will value more of that social interaction in the whole process of getting out and i've always seen sometimes um rationales don't quite work out in reality like this sort of rationale of online shopping for me if i order a pair of jeans and it doesn't fit and i have to then try and figure out how to send it back and actually it's easier to just pop into town and try a pair on and things like that sometimes it seems a bit um the actual the, the idea the prevailing idea that it's easier is not always the case anyway but certainly support those local business because you're not quite sure what they'd look like without without sort of uh, businesses in in the high street i suppose how much concern is there at the university john for the generation of students coming through that the, the economic impact because i was relatively green in my career when the 2008 recession happened and obviously that hindered i think um it made almost every aspect of sports broadcasting freelance because no one was prepared to commit and that's obviously changed recently a little bit we've gone staff at sky sports but it was it's almost the case that we all had to be freelance for a long time in our in our 20s and early 30s i wonder if if that's going to have an impact for the, the guys coming through from from your courses and from other subjects yeah i think it's you know we it's already a hugely competitive industry as we've always said and i think it's it could be even more so but i think there still will be opportunities for those that, that want it enough and are passionate yeah. enough about it and and just stand out from the crowd because there's you know it's always been competitive but as soon as the sporting landscape goes back to some sort of normality and we've got live sports and I think there'll always be demand for quality coverage and quality reporting and quality presenting and I think it's just yeah it's just going to be possibly ramped up an option in terms of co- the competitive nature of it which has always been there yeah you can't just, just sort of stroll into a job no and just be flexible about what you go into I suppose is always a key is what we were always told is where opportunities open pursue them and I suppose the dreaded corporate world of PR might be an option for people potentially yeah I think that there are there will be opportunities there uh, for you know for those that, that want it the most and those that are willing yeah. to like you said willing to put themselves into something to give it a go and try and use it as a stepping stone to get to maybe where they want to be a little bit further down the line and um, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's a real shame for our final year students you know that are just coming towards the end of their degree and then this has happened but as, yeah. as I said they've been from from my experience the guys that I've been working with they've they've adapted brilliantly and they are very sort of resilient bunch and they're you know as I said just inherently good at dealing with technology and just getting on with it so I've been you know really really pleased with that that's great and I suppose yeah as you mentioned there we know this might become a relatively new normal depending on this virus and other viruses that come that maybe that technical savvy will stand them in good stead in their career in terms of being able to record stuff from home I know that presenters at Sky David Jones is, is, is presenting a football show from his home in Oxfordshire and other people are contributing Jamie Redknapp from Surrey or wherever. And so I think it's, it could be that, that ability to be comfortable with that technology will be key as we go forward on that. John, do you think there'll be a psychological hangover here for, for sport and anything involving a mass gathering? Will people be tentative about going out or do you think there'll be that kind of flip flip side of it, which will be a kind of rush of euphoria that finally they can get out and socialize. I think we'll see the, the social, distancing gradually relaxed a long time before we see crowds full of 70 60,000 people you know i think that's a big wet a big step from where we are now you know i think just mm. getting just getting the schools back in 
getting businesses back open is going to come realistically a lot longer, a lot sooner than than full full Premier League football stadiums with vast sums of people. Because the last one we saw was Cheltenham, wasn't it? Cheltenham Festival was whether yeah. you know, rightly or wrongly it went ahead there was nothing to... well there's been there's, sorry to interrupt you there's been there's been sort of criticism of of that but like a lot of things in life it's it's messy isn't it because you and i know people locally and i chat to restaurateurs and people around here it is a significant amount of them notwithstanding coronavirus pandemic but even in normal years it's it's almost keeps them afloat that income from this, the festival so in a sense you can understand for the town that it was it was it was almost a, a vital thing for it to go ahead yeah it's a very difficult one i think the the, the bottom line is the government said it could go ahead. So the people at Racecourse went ahead with it and you can't blame them. They weren't told to, mm. to, to postpone it. So um, like you said, it, that, that little burst of uh, busyness before this lockdown might have actually kept some people going for a lot longer. But I uh, just got to hope that there wasn't too much of a, a fallout health yeah. from it. But I think it was, it's a very difficult one. It's obviously divided opinion, but it went ahead because it was able to and it wasn't yeah. told to close down. But I think, I think we'll see a gradual, you know, a, a gradual return. So I think we'll see possibly televised sport in empty stadiums with tested players a lot longer than we see, uh, mm. a lot sooner than we see uh, f- sold out crowds. Fans sat on fans on alternate seats. I mean, you're trying to you know hypothesize about what could what it could look like. Yeah, if you do a two meter spacing of a stadium, you know, two two meters either way is going to be diff- quite difficult to. I mean, it's possible, but. If you can, you know, have a supermarket where everyone's staying two metres apart with a shopping, I suppose you can have a, a <laughs> yeah. stadium, but it's just going to be an absolute logistical nightmare, isn't it? To try to get everyone in, get everyone out and keep everyone two metres apart. And Especially when they've had a couple of beers as well. Yeah. <laughs> Usually not the case in the supermarket, yeah. So it's, it's, oh, it's, it, it, it's... Are, you, are, you, are you optimistic that the football, because football's kind of irrational anyway, as we said, it doesn't really make sense from a business perspective that it can find a way to reform, even if it goes into some sort of like slumber and, and, and kind of hibernation and then wakes up again? I think it will it will come back and it will come back strong. I think all all the way through this, everyone's had this in the back of their mind that there's a lot more important things going on. But it ha- it is a massive part of so many millions of people's lives in this country that it, mm. the football is needed in terms of giving everybody a lift, giving everyone a morale boost. And it's another thing that I think you spoke to Paul about uh, a long time ago, Paul Godfrey, that yeah, that it, it helped boost morale after or during the war. You know, it kept yes. people. Yeah. And obviously, it's a very different situation now. But I think it's got a massive role to play in getting putting smiles back on everyone's faces when it's safe to do so. And I think it will never lose that popularity and never use. It's just part of our DNA, isn't it? Not just football, mm. but especially football, but a lot of other sports yeah. as well. It's just such a massive part of of our culture and our life. I don't think it will ever go away. No, well, the government's actually helped uh, sponsor some of Sky Sports News output during the day, so they they were keen for us to stay on air very much. And when it looked like maybe we'd divert all our resources into Sky News, the harder news branch of it, but they actually wanted Sky Sports News to stay on air because it was a, a counterpoint to yeah. to the harder stuff. And also uh, it was another way of getting some vital information you know, around the social distancing to people. But it, it was a sense that they, they were aware that people needed a, a morale boost. And I think that was the case with the government in the Second World War wanting football to come back. And I'm sure they will be aware of, uh, obviously, within the, the confines of keeping it as healthy as possible and not endangering anyone. But I think there yeah. will be a sense of wanting to get that morale that morale back when we come back because everyone will feel very surreal and there'll be a lot of um, hardship. And maybe, yeah. even though that doesn't make sense, does it? You, you, you don't want to then go and spend money on football tickets, but maybe it's it's something that is a distraction from tough times. Yeah, I think Sunderland Till I Die has kept a few people going, hasn't it? And uh, things like that. <laughs> and I've been watching all the yeah. Cup finals on YouTube and that sort of thing. But I think yeah. no matter how hard times are and how how um, cash strapped some people are i think that's the one thing that a lot of people will 
will always try and find money for is, is go and watch some live sport and, and, and have that Saturday afternoon football it, fix. How have you found it, John? Just, I should have asked you this first, but apologise for that. But how are, you, how are you in terms of your, your, your situation? I know you've got another half. Are you, yeah. are you together or are you living alone? Or how are you, yeah, how are you we're, we're not together, it? no. But it's, I've been coping all right. I've been staying busy. I've been, uh, obviously, before term ended, I was teaching uh, during the week. And then first, first couple of weeks, I was doing a lot of longer reads for Gloss Live. Um, looking yeah. back, coming, coming up with that creative content that doesn't revolve around the live games. And I quite enjoy you know, chatting to people. A lot, nostal- lot of nostalgia flying around. Yeah. Now, isn't there? Yeah. Not, I love that. I love that. So, um, uh, this week I've done a, a long piece with, uh, Steve Cottrell about winning the double at Bristol city, 2014, 15, which I really, former Burnley and Portsmouth manager. Yeah. Well. Really enjoyed Bristol looking back at that. And, um, got, I've done a piece for the non-league paper this weekend, um, on Kevin Willits, former Charlton town captain, who's looking back at his career. So I've, I've kept busy. I've been doing weekly shop for my parents. Good man. Waitrose. So they don't, you know, they have to put themselves at risk, and yeah, it's it's bizarrely. Although some some days seem long, I think to think that it's been four or five weeks now. Um, yeah, I do think it's actually I'm keeping busy is the key. I think, and not just and you get moping you around. get full, fully dressed and showered when you're working from home. Obviously, when you're on yeah, when you're got, on, uh, got Microsoft got, Teams and stuff, you have to be absolutely <laughs> crucial. Presentable. To have a, a routine. I've got I've got a strict routine that I stick to every day, which involves you know getting up at a certain time, breakfast, shower, get on with some work, out for a long walk. Uh, then yeah. a, bit, a bit of downtime in the evening, but I'm not, I, I don't like doing nothing. So I've been no. very much trying to keep myself busy. And I think that's the key is, uh, you know, keep keeping occupied and not, not just moping Good man. sitting around. And are the students, have they gone home to their parents' houses or are they in Cheltenham with their, yeah, with, I think in, in sort of communal house? The, the vast majority have gone, gone back to their parental homes. I think some, um, the halls are still open because they, you know, they've, they've, they're paying the rent that they're, yeah, but they've rented until the end of the year, and some people need to stay there. So the halls are still open, but I think the vast majority of students have gone back to their parents, and and like we said, that they can log on and still still learn and participate in, in interactive lectures. So it's been yeah, the, the the tools that we've got at our disposal, and the the we have been really well supported in terms of uh, guidance of any technical issues. But it's been yeah, it's been I think considering what happened in such a short space of time, it's been a real smooth transition. Yeah, well, great stuff. Well, brave, brave new world, isn't it? I think we're all adapting to it, downloading yeah. Teams and Zoom and all these different apps. But John, I really appreciate your time as well. Thank you very much. No problem. Get off and enjoy your evening. But hopefully, yeah, stay in touch. And, and John, follow him online as well if you want to keep across all the uh, the coverage of the local sports scene and, and the local developments. Hope everyone is uh, is safe and financially secure as much as you can to, to get through it. Cheers, John. Take care. Cheers, Ed. Thanks a lot. Thank you. So there you have it, John Palmer, local journalist and lecturer, not professor in the Cheltenham area. He yet lectures journalism, particularly sports journalism, at the University of Gloucestershire. As he says there, changing world in terms of how that's being delivered all remotely and interesting sort of words you get from different people's workplaces about how the world will change and adapt once we go back to some level of normality, once lockdown is lifted. Will it ever return to kind of 100% attendance in offices? Will there be, I guess, lessons learned from this that people will work remotely? I'm not sure for me being a student would have loved being kind of face to face and interacting with professors for me they're the kind of lecturers they're the the gold dust of university experience which is so expensive even in the UK now but certainly when I went to do my master's in America so I can see um, hopefully you know some sort of prudence around certain workplaces maybe people be able to work from home that reduce congestion and Hopefully some of the environmental benefits we've seen will, will continue. But it's fascinating to hear John's take on how the world's developing, also local sports clubs and 
I think primarily, of course, we'd all say that, that health is the main concern, everyone's well-being and everyone's kind of um, uh, mortality, everyone being alive is the key. But uh, beyond that, concerns financially for the system and, and the world we live in and the businesses locally and globally and internationally and how we all prosper from, from here on in. So some good insight there from him. A quick shout out again to those people who want the supplement recommended by my father, not me, I'm not a scientist, not a doctor, but Immunovite, which we've been taking for decades as a family, which is a food state supplement from a company called Cytoplan and contains selenium, zinc, vitamin C, and other good things to boost the immune system at the cellular level to prevent, if you listen back to the podcast, do with my dad, Dr. Mark Draper, particularly the second one, I believe, he talks about the fact that it can stop the virus entering at the cellular level in the cell. So that's the theory behind uh, the supplement and particularly connected to that is the fact that the UK has low soil levels of selenium as does most of Europe. There are other countries that have higher, Canada in particular, and our immunity may well have impacted in the UK when we stopped importing Canadian wheat, but that's more of a political topic related to the EU, so I won't get too much into, into that. But if you go to Cytoplan's website, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N, Cytoplan, Google that, the, the supplement is Immunovite and get other supplements there with the same discount code, but it is Draper 10, their food state, which I'm told, according to the science, helps the body digest it as it would food, so it goes into the system, so you uh, retain the ingredients to the to, to the vitamin, to the supplement. Uh, but anyway, I hope you're well. Shout out to Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham as well for their continued support of the podcast, Jason Briggs and his team. I'm on social media, eddraper81 on Twitter, ed underscore draper81 on Instagram. Love to hear from you. I do hope you're well. I'm not sure about the sort of stay safe statement that's been out there. Obviously, I don't disagree with that, but I suppose go well, be well. It's maybe more, I'd say, at the moment. And may you sort of go well health-wise and, and hopefully financially in whatever position you're in around the world. All the best. And uh, let me know if uh, you enjoy the podcast and do please rate it on iTunes. It's uh, very nice to get any, any recognition there and any feedback is always appreciated. Thank you. Enjoy your... Uh, rest of the week. Cheers guys.